0: Well, I'll be honest, I've uh, missed being with you the last couple weeks, sharing from God's Word. We've had a couple different guest speakers, and so they've let me back up on stage this morning. And uh, so excited, just kidding, there's no issues, Uh, other than a break. Uh, Just excited to get into God's Word this morning. But before I do that, I was wondering if anybody was interested in hearing a refresh update. So we've been talking about... This building project for the last uh, month or so and pretty excited to see how God's been working in our church and just moving appropriately in people's hearts and stirring. For those of you that are new, we're doing this uh, thing we're calling Refresh where we're going to take this campus and do some needed improvements including adding a kitchen and some other enhancements. Uh, But we were shooting for and we initially talked about this as a congregation that the initial estimates were around $300,000 to raise, and so I knew it was going to be something that needed to stir in people's hearts in order to hit a number like that, and so we were praying towards that end, but I was talking to different elders, and through this whole process, I was saying, you know what, it'd just be wonderful, because there's always those unexpected expenses that come up in a building project to have a little bit of a cushion towards that, and so we were just praying towards that, I kept saying, man, it'd just be nice if we just hit the 350 mark. Different elders I've talked to, I said, man, that would be just great, and so uh, praise the Lord this last week after all the tallies came in, we landed at 3.53 uh, for that. And so uh, obviously there's something that's going to be, yeah, praise the Lord, right? And so I just want to encourage you just recognizing that this did take a degree of uh, sacrifice for, for many of us as a church. And so just wanted to compliment you on just moving based on God's stirring in your heart. And so we're excited to see what God's going to do through that in this coming A year ahead, and so praise God for that. I don't know who gave uh, what, but I do know that there are some definitely some sacrificial commitments in 2014. So thank you for that, uh, as a church, and great job. We're excited that what that's going to do as a unifying factor for our church as well. Well, this morning we're diving in. We're continuing for the last couple weeks. We've been doing this what we've called month of the family. And uh, we've been spending quite a bit of time the first two weeks talking a little bit more about the kind of parenting aspect, and some of you might be like, man, I'm way past that, or that's not even on my radar, Uh, but uh, many many of uh, us—sorry, Jake, for looking at you in the middle of that, I don't know where that came from— but uh, we're moving a little bit more towards talking about uh, marriage and the aspects about that. And the topic this morning is this idea of fighting fair, fighting fair. I'm going to s- explain more about that in a moment. But I want to share a story. I was, I was listening to a story about uh, uh, two friends that were talking. And the gentleman was sharing uh, with his friend about all the difficulty he had had in his dating Uh, life because he kept finding that the girl that he would meet and really enjoy her company and her fellowship, he'd uh, feel like things would be going well and would take her home to, to meet the parents and be excited to introduce them to mom and dad. And every time he was sharing with his friend, he's like, man, every time, whatever girl I bring home, my mom doesn't seem to like her. So I don't know if anybody had to deal with that in their dating experience, but he was just frustrated at this situation. So he came up with this conclusion. He said, you know what, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to try to date somebody that's more similar to my own mom. I know I, I like my own mom, so I can look for somebody that's kind of wired up like my mom and look for that, that right fit. And he thought, man, for sure he had met this girl She's real similar to the mom and and, and was like, man, this is going to be perfect. She has a similar personality, similar taste, even mannerisms, different things just like his mom. So at Christmas, he decided this was the perfect time to introduce her to his his mom and dad. So they went home and his friend was asking, like, so how did it go? And he's like, oh, man, it went fantastic. My mom absolutely loved her, but my dad couldn't stand her. (laughs) (laughs) That'll take a second to sink in for some of you, but... The, the idea here is that we're looking for, for marriages here in our church and our congregation to be a, a body that we really have marriages where we enjoy each other, where we really have a fellowship and a unity like God designed that, that they're biblically based and they're grounded in his word and we're praying towards that end. And for some of you, you're like, wait a second, I'm not, not married. Well, still some of the relational principles that we're presenting today are going to apply to any kind of relationship uh, that you're in or have been in and so this morning we're excited to see what God's going to teach us and you might be asking like why why do we even get all worked about up about the marriage thing why is that such a big deal why did God even design that and I was thinking about that this week and really it's the same reason God designed anything else or anything else that he's done is for one purpose to point to his glory to point to his greatness. That's why he designed marriage. He wants marriage to be in the same way that a beautiful sunrise or a, an amazing mountain ranger glancing out at the vastness of the sea points to his glory. A marriage, a healthy Christian marriage that's centered in Christ can do the exact same thing. It can proclaim his greatness. The way that two unique uniquely different and different kind of personalities. God bringing two of them together and uniting them to complement each other can be a beautiful thing. The way that it can be a serving experience where one is serving the other perfectly in the, uh, and in that marriage it's for a lifetime as represents the same commitment that Christ had to us, the commitment that he has to the church. It's an awesome way to point to his glory even through our marriage. marriages, awesome potential within our relationships. But not to mention that, the other reason we want to pursue marriages that are healthy and God-honoring is, let's be honest, when we walk down the aisle, and you remember that day, like if you are married, the guys are looking at me like, I don't remember the day; it hasn't happened yet. But, uh, uh, but, but you, you think back, I can picture my wife's face walking down the aisle, I didn't think to myself, man, it's going to be awesome to build like a nice cohabitation, you know, we're going to be good roommates, you know, we're going to try to just get along, like no, like that wasn't it. Like in our heart of hearts, each one of us desires to have in our marriage to have an awesome relationship. To have one that's glorifying to God, that's growing, that's, that's deepening on a, on a consistent basis. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is how we can move that direction. But truth is, a lot of us are like, you know what, that was once the goal, but over time, something's kind of caused that attempt and effort to kind of derail, to get off track, to get off base, and truth be told, a lot of times, and that's why we're going to talk about it as a subject this morning, a lot of times the thing that gets us off track the most is not knowing how to fight fair. Just because you've been married a really long time doesn't guarantee that you figured out that whole communications piece, that you figured out how to fight fair, how to love each other and do a good job with that. In fact, I was reading this week about a researcher by the name of John Gottman. He spent 16 years investigating how couples fight. What a fun job, right? It it said that he can see patterns in fights within five minutes of watching a couple fight and predict failed marriages with 91% accuracy. That's pretty crazy. To think, Just watching how somebody engages in a fight to be able to determine whether or not that marriage is going to last. He comes to some conclusions in his study, and I want to point to these first in our time together. He calls them the four hence horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm calling them four obstacles to fighting fair. I'm gonna point out these four things and maybe as you're listening to these, if we're honest, if we're really going before the Lord on this, you can resonate with maybe one of these is an area that's been an obstacle in your own fights. Four of them. They're listed in your, in your uh, bulletin in the notes section there. The first one is this. Criticism. Criticism. It's an attack, attacking the person, not the problem. An attack on the person, not the problem. With criticism, the, the person is, is the problem. That's where you hear the you always and you never, right? That's where those sneak in, That when, it's, when you're critiquing, when you're attacking that person, that's one of the first ways to derail a marriage fight. The idea is, is this, if, if you think about it, how do you win with those statements? You always, you never. You're like, well, then I quit. You know, like, uh, of, of course you can't. You can't win with you always, you never. That's criticism. Criticism, first one. Second one, contempt. Contempt, where you're literally just disgusted with the person. This is where it can get pretty ugly, where the, the name calling and the sarcasm is, it, it, just, it just gets dark. That, that's the, the second horseman that he points out in this apocalypse. He says, Man, this, when it moves to contempt, you see the goal, in, a, in a healthy couple, they have the goal of resolution. But an unhealthy couple has victory as its goal. Do you see the difference there? And when there's the goal of, of, of victory, you start moving towards, wait, I need to shame them. I need to bring them down. Because when you bring them down, the thought subconsciously is that lifts you up. But that's the sure way to damage a marriage. Contempt. They use psychological attack to accomplish the task of victory. Third one, defensiveness. This is one that, that definitely resonates in my mind. It's so easy to slip into this. We're convicted, but instead of admitting our faults, we choose to move towards defending yourself. Of course I'm of course you're mad. Of course I'm mad. You made me this way. How many times have you thought like that? Yeah, yeah, I'm upset, but look what you did. There's a, there's a reason I'm upset. It's 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 redirecting, it's defensive. This is where the yes buts start to sneak in. What I mean by yes but is like, yes, that's true, but, you know what I mean? That's, that's where you start moving into the yes buts. It's dangerous, defensiveness. It's where you're, the thinking of I'm not the problem, you are. A lot of us live in relationships like this where there's never the admittance of like, you know what, I apologize. I was wrong. While the fight is happening, you're actually starting to think towards what your rebuttal is, rather than actually trying to hear what the person has to say. That's defensiveness, that's a problem. The fourth one, maybe this one resonates, it's called stonewalling, ignoring the other person, shutting down and refusing to engage. This is a dangerous thing as well, and this happens pretty often, whether it's a turning up the TV, whether it's walking away, whether it's, whether it's hanging up the phone, or whether it's literally turning your back to that person. Stonewalling is a dangerous thing. Did you know that one in his studies, he determined that that was 80% of the time done by the man? Huh. Maybe that's because we don't know how to communicate. Maybe we need some work in that area stonewalling, four different areas, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. If none of those rings a bell in an argument that you've had in the past, then you can leave right now because the rest isn't gonna be any point to you. But if any of those maybe resonates with you where you're like, you know what? I do slip towards defensiveness. Then maybe the rest of the message might have something for you because I wanna point to five different areas, five different biblical principles that can help us fight fair. Five different biblical principles and my wife and I are just coming up here on Valentine's Day of having our 15th anniversary and it's funny as I started to pen down some of these thoughts today and look through different notes that I've taken over the years and you start to realize you're like man you've actually started to learn a lot. Now the application is a whole nother story, that's the hard work, but you start to pick up different things that you've gleaned over the years and I wanna point to these as not all in one text but all throughout scripture. The first one, biblical principle I wanna address is this, is choose fights wisely, choose fights wisely. Early in our marriage, Adrian and I would just found ourselves just getting into arguments over the dumbest stuff. When we, when we first got married, it was fun after our wedding to, to go home and kind of open the gifts and see like, oh, we got seven toasters. That's great. And, uh, and, and then you, you get the gift cards and then their favorite part were the envelopes, right? And uh, they, they, you you'd start opening those and you're like, you know what? Let's go shopping. We got we to gotta decorate our house. And so where did we head IKEA, you know, you, you know they've got really cheaply made stuff for cheap, and uh, and, and so we, we went to IKEA, and I could not believe I thought we got along perfectly until we showed up at IKEA. Like IKEA brings out the ugliness in people, right? And, uh, and we would just fight over the dumbest things of, of what towels to get or what kind of ki- I don't know, whatever things silliness. Now I just submit, actually, we still fight over that. Uh, but <laughs> The question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? How many times do I talk to my kids and I'm like, you know what, is that a big deal or is that a little deal? What if we ask that same question? Is it worth it? James 1.19 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Asking questions like, should it be said? What I'm I'm thinking, you know, marriage is made up in in relationships, if you think about the relationships you have, they're made up in in moments, right? Moments of little crossroads where you're making choices. You know what, should I say that? Should I not? It's a matter of living in the spirit or in the flesh. Is it worth it? Should it be said? Or how about this? Should it be said now? There's some things that you're like, hey, that might be a good point, but probably now's not the best time make it. Let things slide off your back, infusing a a culture of grace in our marriages. What would that look like where you're just like, you know what? It's okay that you messed up. It's okay. Grace should should invade. My mom, when I was growing up, had a statement that she would just consistently go back to. She would always make the statement in the middle of me fighting with my two sisters. Always across the house or from the other room, you'd hear her saying, guys, slow to take Offense, slow to take offense, and we're like, "Where's the fence? Where are we going to take offense?" And uh, and she's she's like, "No, slow to take offense, slow to take offense. Don't be so easily angered." I like this quote: "Patience announces that you're not in charge. Patience announces that you're not in charge. It gives God a chance to work in the person's heart." When we start to question parts of our spouse, we don't acknowledge God as sovereign. He is in charge of sanctification, not me, right? Isn't that a little bit of a weight off of our back? I'm not trying to fix them. We have to get off that mentality of solving them and let God do what he's supposed to do. My wife last week in the, in the message uh, and, and it was talking about a topic that was completely unrelated, but she knew that that to this. But she knew that this message was coming up. She gives me a little elbow and she goes, "Scott, she's like, you should have me come up next week and share how a lot of times I'm just quiet and let the Holy Spirit do the work in your heart." I'm like, I'm like, I'm not handing you the microphone to say that. And uh, and so so we were joking about that all, all week this week. But that's so true. Like how many times. She'll just kind of give me those puppy dog cute eyes of hers and just be quiet. And then, oh, then the Holy Spirit goes to work. Any guys ever been there before? Starts nudging, starts convicting, starts doing only what he can do. And and sometimes I actually get right and go back and own my stuff with her. But choosing your fights wisely, don't try to do in your spouse what only Jesus can do. Don't try to do in your spouse. What only Jesus can do. So choose fights wisely. Next idea, biblical principle, staying on topic. Staying on topic. It's not the time to bring up all of your complaints and all of your issues with the person in the heat of the debate over whether you put the milk back in the fridge, right? Like that's not the time to bring up your concerns. This idea the, the fights can be where the histo- i wrote this down. Fights can be where the historian comes out in all of us, right? Like all of a sudden we're an expert historian. We remember every single fact, and you're like, "Wait a second! I—I d- I thought we worked through that in 1994." You know what I mean? Like that, i thought that was solved. We moved past that, but the truth is, in unhealthy relationships, it's easy to linger on things. That's the truth. Is is to expose bitterness in people where things haven't been resolved. You need to stay on topic. Stay on talk- topic. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting thought of making the Holy Spirit sad. By whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This idea of it has to be put away. You can't keep coming back to old stuff. It has to be resolved. It has to be forgiven and move past. We want to stay focused on the topic at hand. How many times have you been in an argument where you're like, I can't even remember where this started, right? We, We started talking about this, but then it went here and here and here and here. Like the truth is, man, stay on topic. It's so much easier to work through that. Couple suggestions on how to do that. So how about this, is repeat back what you heard them say. Hey, I, I hear you saying this. And then give permission for them to correct areas that, 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 that you've missed it, right? What, what if that, how would that change what your fights looked like, right? If you start to say, you know what, this, this is what I'm hearing you say right now. Is that, is that correct? And that person is, it, it, it shows value, it shows concern in what, what's being said there. Repeat back, allow them to correct. And then how about this? to choose to work on marriage during non-conflict times. That's a w- wonderful tool for you guys. If you can implement that where you start to look through working through some of those issues, like saying like, hey, I, I, it's fair that you have that issue right now. I, I hear that, but let's, let's talk about that when we're not in the middle of this fight about the milk. Let's, let, let, let's talk about that at another time in a non-conflict time. Let's work through that. I was listening to a message by Greg Rochelle recently. He mentioned two questions that he asks his wife often. I thought these are great for non-conflict times. He, he asks these questions. He says, what are three things that I do that bless you? Asking your spouse. What are three things that I do that bless you? And then what are three things that I could do better? Wouldn't that be profitable to think through that? We're so quickly to move towards all the, the negative and issues that we have. What if we took time to actually think like, Hey, maybe our spouse isn't as bad as we think. Maybe there's a few things they are doing right. Take time to acknowledge those in, during non conflict times. What are three things that I do that bless you? What are three things that I could do better? I like those. Don't miss the positive. So, this idea of staying on topic, the next one I want to point to is don't allow it to escalate. Don't allow it to escalate. So many fights escalate unnecessarily. I thought this was interesting. One, one author points to rules like a train track crossing. He says, stop, look, and listen. Stop what you're doing. I got, a lot of times I think this is, guys need to hear this. I know I need to hear this. It's like, hey, stop watching TV. Get off the computer. If your wife or, or girlfriend or, who, or, or friend, whatever relationship you're, you're, you're dealing with, if they have an issue, stop and show the respect to actually listen to what they have to say. Stop, look. The look piece I think is important because it shows that you actually value them. When you take time to look in their eyes and hear what they're saying, how that changes things. Stop, look, and then actually look to listen. Look to hear what they're actually saying to you, how that could change things start in, in that conversation, I thought of, of this, what would it look like in our conversation of saying like, hey, what, you di- what happened here, what you did there, made me feel this way. Instead of a personal attack on them, go back to how it made you feel. When you left the toilet seat up, it made me feel, I don't know, that was one, one of them. But, but how would that change your conversation if you're starting to wanna hear how they're feeling, what's going on in their heart? And then what if we responded I understand how you feel. I can understand why you would feel this way. What would that look? How would that change the landscape of your last argument that you play back in your head? When you start to actually get towards heart issues and not just an attack on the person. You see, empathy goes a long way. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I was thinking about that word tenderhearted just in my preparation. Is that a word that my wife would use to describe me? Is that a word that somebody would use to describe you? That's what God wants to see in us is tender heart, soft, empathetic. Empathy. I love this de- definition of empathy. Walking in someone else's shoes without stepping on their feet. I like that one. Walking in someone else's shoes without stepping on their feet. Couple ground rules to keep things from not escalating. This, this one I bring up with couple, young couples a lot. I, before coming here as a young adults pastor, I've mentioned that before. We would meet a lot of couples prior to marriage and just talking through different things. This was one that we went to very often is this, is never, ever use the D word. The D word being divorce never never bringing that up that's off limits because when you allow that as an option eventually when things get when things get bad you're going to take that option never allowing the d word to enter into the conversation that's off limits because when the divorce option isn't an option then all of a sudden you're forced to have to work through it right when that's not an option, your only option is to solve it and to get it figured out, even if it's for your own sanity. When divorce is off the table, then, it, then you're pushed to have to work through it. Never using the D word. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Ephesians 4.26, that's a wonderful tool for us. Not allowing things to escalate, not allowing things to build up. Don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. Put in the hard work, stay up, work through it. Here's another one that's going to help things not escalate. Never quote your pastor. No, seriously. (laughs) Never quote your pastor to fight. Don't bring me into your fights. No, but these ideas don't allow things to escalate. This fourth one, and I think this is probably one of the most important things is this, is to own your junk. Own your junk. You see, when two sinners move in together, we shouldn't be surprised if there's sin In that relationship, I'm not a mathematician, but one sinner plus one sinner doesn't equal zero sinners. It's part of the deal, right? That's the time for an amen, right? All right, So, so two sinners moving in together doesn't equal zero sinners. The truth is all marriage problems are sin issues. All marriage problems are sin issues. I went to a marriage conference just this past summer with my wife when we were on vacation. It worked out really well. There's a guy that we respect by the name of Paul Tripp, and we went to a workshop that he was doing uh, that just happened to be like five minutes from where we were on vacation. It was fantastic. We sat in, and he he talked about this often, about the idea of owning your stuff. He He made this quote. I love this. He says, your spouse is the occasion for your actions, not the cause, huh? Your spouse is the occasion for your actions, not the cause. What if the truth is, what if I'm the problem? What if my sin issues, what if my junk, what if that's the issue? When that starts to to actually permeate and soak into your, your thinking, that changes everything. Because the truth is, sin inserts me at the center. When I'm at the center, when life revolves around me, the potential for offense is great. When life all revolves around me, when everything's me, me, mine, this and that, my wants, my needs, my preferences, then we're guaranteed to be offended. Sin is fundamentally antisocial. It's my needs, my wants, my de- desires, and it dehumanizes others. It sees them as a vehicle for our happiness. And so that's the truth. That's what the, the source of so many of our marriage and relational issues is that, is sin. Sin's at the basis of that. Love isn't natural for us. Selfishness is. If you think about it, your irritability stems from your selfishness. Why am I so irritable? Because I want my, things my way. I want things to go. I want, the, I want this to happen. I want this. It's, it's all about me. Sin is the root issue. Sin is we need to fix marriage vertically, not horizontally. First, figuring out the heart deal, going before the Lord, owning your junk, being willing to admit when we're wrong. The truth is the biggest deal in our relationships is figuring out how to deal with sin. How do we deal with it? I don't always agree with everything that he says, but every once in a while he says something I like. Mark Driscoll, he said this, when you've done bad, we should feel bad, otherwise we're a sociopath. I thought that was funny. <laughs> when we've done bad, we should feel bad. Otherwise, we're a sociopath. The idea is, is the truth is, is sin is part of the deal. If we say, First 1 John 1, 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. It's part of the deal. He goes on to say in verse 9, but if we confess our sins, that's our way to deal with it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We always quote that, but then the verse after that we forget. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let that sink in. Let that simmer a little bit. If we claim we're without sin, repentance is part of the deal. I heard one speaker say repentance is the best dance you'll ever boogie to. Repentance should be the part of every believer. There's three parts I want to point to this morning. The first part of this of repentance is confession. Confession needs to be a part of it. That's what happens. Where the Holy Spirit pricks and prods and convicts, that happens in your mind, and then it moves to your mouth. You know what? I blew it. What would your relationship look like if that was more often on your tongue to say like, you know what? I messed up. How many times, how many things would be solved if you're willing to just own your junk in the moment? Confession, that's the verbal piece. Then the second word there under repentance is contrition. Might be a new word for some of us. The idea of emotions, this has to do with feeling it. You can't just say it, it has to be something felt. How many times have you directed kids or seen kids go into, or you might remember this from your childhood where your parent says, hey, go tell them you're sorry. You go into the other room and you're like, I'm sorry, not looking at them, walking away. And there's no heart fault. Does that happen with your kids too? All the time with mine. And, uh, and so, but th- th- this idea of it has to be something that's felt. Something that's felt, what if instead of that, we set, went to the person that we've wronged and said, you know what, I've sinned, this is how I've sinned, will you forgive me, while looking at them in the eye? Wouldn't that change things? Wouldn't that change the conversations between our kids if they went to their brother or sister and said, you know what, I've sinned, this is how I've sinned, will you forgive me? That would change things drastically in our, in our parenting and in our own relationships, right? Right? This idea of actually feeling it, allowing it to to sink in to us. And then the idea, the last piece under repentance is change. That something, and this is only possible with the Holy Spirit, right? That he would start to change the way we interact. It's not just talking a big talk. It's not just the heartfelt, crying appeal. But there would actually be transformation to not going back to the old way of doing things. Gary Thomas says this, Couples don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. That was interesting. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of repentance. It's no longer a part of the marriage. The last one I want to point to here this morning is this biblical principle. So there's got to be a response. So this idea of repentance, there has to be then forgiveness extended. Forgive quickly and completely. There has to be a response. Victims forgive or get bitter. Victims forgive or get bitter. No endearing relationship is possible without forgiveness. Colossians 3:12 says this, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. That's like saying putting up with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This idea of forgiveness, it's part of every healthy marriage relationship. The senior pastor at the last church that I was at, his name was James McDonald. He had this definition of forgiveness. I thought it was fantastic. The decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. The decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. It's a release. It's a letting go. It's saying, you know what, I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm not going to hold on to that. Bitterness doesn't accept, that if we're honest with ourselves, bitterness doesn't accept what Jesus did on the cross as enough. It says an additional payment is needed. That's dangerous, right? If you think about that, that's a dangerous statement to make in our action of bitterness to say, you know what? What Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. I want more from you. I want more from you. Instead, what God calls us to, as we see there in Colossians, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. There has to be that passing on. You can't, you can't just bask in God's grace and not extend it to others. This, the, the truth about forgiveness, a couple different thoughts on that as we concluded. Forgiveness doesn't just come at the response to an apology, doesn't just come after an apology because let's be honest sometimes that apology never comes right sometimes that apology never comes if we were just bound by only forgiving when there's an apology man we'd be holding a lot of stuff the expectation is that forgiveness needs to be extended regardless And the other truth about forgiveness is it's not a one-time event. It's not just like, okay, they're forgiven, just move on. I mean, it can be, and maybe smaller deals, but big issues. Forgiveness can be a process, right? It can be a process. It starts by going before the Lord and saying, you know what, God? I'm releasing this to you and letting you play the rightful role of judge rather than me. I'm releasing this to you. And I'm going to choose, remember that, that de- definition, the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. I'm going to choose to release that person. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to rehearse it in my mind. I'm done with that. I'm releasing it to you, God. And that might be something that needs to happen daily. Then it moves to maybe needing to happen weekly. Then maybe to monthly. It's a process for many of us, especially with deep wounds. Forgiveness is not a one-time event, but it's trusting that God is in the, in the process of working and doing sanctification in that person and in you. It's a release, and there's freedom in that, right? There's a freedom to release somebody. Here's a, one last truth I want to present is this, is that forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation, so you see, forgiveness, is between, is, is, it only takes one person to extend forgiveness. We can extend forgiveness, and, and, and that, that's between us and God, and, and, and we can be done with that. that. We can extend forgiveness. Reconciliation is the part that takes two people, right? Matthew 18 walks through what that looks like. You can release somebody and forgive them, and I'll tell you what, reconciliation is a lot easier when you've forgiven that person. Does that make sense? Reconciliation is way more feasible and way more realistic when there's been forgiveness extended. So how are we doing on that? How are we doing on that? How are we doing with this forgiveness piece? That needs to be something that's a regular, constant part of our life. The truth is, if we have hopes to live out God's love and display his glory in our marriage, then forgiveness is an option that can't be avoided. It's a necessary component. We've got to engage in it. So as we reflect on this here this morning, just some practical things. Hey, how are we doing with some of those, those obstacles? The criticism, the contempt, the defensiveness, the stonewalling. Man, we, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to rid those from our life. To rid those from our, our, our fights and start introducing some of these biblical principles that we've talked about. Look at those. Choose fights wisely. Staying on topic. Don't allow to escalate. Owning your junk. Man, even that one would change things drastically. Forgive quickly and completely. I'll tell you what, God could do an amazing thing in our church and in our relationships so if we allowed some of those truths to simmer. In, my hope and challenge for us is to have a conversation with our, even our spouse this afternoon or a relationship or friend that we've been estranged to for a long time. Have that conversation. Share what the Holy Spirit convicted you of this morning. Start taking steps towards that direction. God could be honored through that. Let me pray for us as we conclude. God, we thank you so much for your word and its practicality and the way that you've peppered truths that relate to every aspect of our lives all over scripture we thank you for this topic here this morning and truth be told as i I preach this and as i share this this morning i'm just as convicted of it as i'm sure anyone in this room is i pray that your holy spirit would do a work god that we'd give up our efforts but we'd release to a moment by moment spirit-led life we can't do this apart from you we need to seek you we need your strength to do this God, that's our our goal, that's our hope, is to surrender this to you, to allow you to reign over our marriages, God. We need you, we desperately need you, God. We want our marriages to reflect your glory the same way that a sunset and a majestic mountain range and the stars of the sky do, God. What a beautiful idea, what a beautiful picture. That's my heart's cry. I pray that for our church as well. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Anytime there's change in our lives, it starts with a crossroads, a point where you're like, you know what? This is going to be the Sunday that things change. That's my prayer for us as a church, that this would be some things that resonate in our mind that we're like, you know what? I want to do things differently. I want my marriage to reflect Jesus Christ. I want it to to point to his glory. If we can be praying for you this week, I'd love to have you come forward. We have a few leaders that'll be up here available to pray for you. Otherwise, have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.